All right, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Practice Indies Podcast. I have the absolute honor this week to have Danny Shalston, who's one of our members, and I'm going to let her actually share her title. But we are this week. We're talking about sukha. Sukha is um, you'll hear it in the Yoga Sutras as one of the two things that describes how we do asana, the actual how. So sukha is ease. Um, in that context, and it's always coupled with stira. Stira is steadiness or stability. Um, so in every pose, we're trying to find sukha and stira. Um, but sukha is also translated often in other uh, other yoga traditions, other texts as bliss. And it actually, from the etymology, comes from or directly translates to good space, which. Um, as I was studying that, I just, my mind just like fucking blew. So, um, so we were talking with Danny about sustainability this week, and I'm going to let her, um, share in a moment who she is and what she does. But my, my loose link here is that I myself am a staunch environmentalist, or at least I think I am. Um, I'm one of the nerds that has like favorite ecologists because I feel as though <clears throat> if we humans really fell into our dharma or actively pursued our dharma with all our gifts, with our thumbs, with our brains, with all the things that we can do that are unique to our animal being, we could really create, air quotes, good space. We could really create bliss on this planet or be in, I don't even want to say create. I think we've already been put in a perfectly great planet, um, but we could fall into or move into the bliss, the ease of what it means to be human and interacting in the larger system and ecosystem of this planet. So that's that was my hope of how we're going to gear this conversation today to align with Sukha. Um, but Danny, hi. hi, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Danny Shoust. Uh, like Shannon mentioned, I'm a Practice Indie member for coming up on a year now, which is super exciting. Um, been practicing yoga, I think since 2013, I think that sounds, that sounds correct. Good. And I, so my day job, uh, right now I work for Indiana university and I run a internship program called the Indiana sustainability development program. We call it ISDP for short, because that's a mouthful and mm -hmm. IU loves its acronyms. So I'm the ISDP program manager. Essentially what I do for this program is I, I do a lot of matchmaking and connecting. So I hire both students and I recruit host organizations outside of the, um, outside of the university to work together. So basically it's a workforce development talent retention program for students who want to work in sustainability and climate action here in Indiana. And I've been doing this since 2017 when I was finishing up my master's degree. So I have a master's from IUPUI O'Neill School of Public Environmental Affairs. And my master's degree is in environmental policy and sustainability. And I've been doing this for about three years now. Before that, I worked for the Indiana Recycling Coalition and I've had a myriad of different jobs in the sustainability field. I've worked on food, I've worked in the green infrastructure kind of space. Uh, I definitely gravitate towards the nonprofit space. And I'm also a musician, so 
just kind of do all the things. But that's a little bit about me and what I'm at, where I'm at right now. Oh my god, the, the I've always had a girl crush on you, but now it's like it's, <laughs> it's getting deep because when you were talking about what you have your masters in, I mean that is like those are those are next level dreams for me. Is to cool. be a they are a commitment trademark. So. <laughs> So tell us, so share what exactly is sustainability? Yeah. So for people that know a little bit about it, it's, there's a lot of these textbook definitions that we go back to. And I think that's great. But for me, what it is, sustainability is making sure that we have a livable planet and that humans in the economy can still thrive. So the simplest way to think about it is we talk about sustainability is having three pillars. So people, planet, profit. So making sure that the planet can thrive, making sure that people can thrive in the present and into the future. And also that the economy can also still be thriving, which especially in our current time is not exactly happening. We're definitely out of balance on things. So that's that's the way that I look at sustainability is those three pillars. So um, you just spoke to something that's obviously probably top of mind for everyone, but I feel like, um, I, you know, well, I, I heard someone who's a pain specialist say you can never actually remember pain, which I would argue with that at the birth of my first child. But I, um, I've been thinking about this time a lot because I keep asking my husband, like, you know, is this the worst period we've ever had like is this just like the hardest time we've ever lived through and I think I'm saying that because I can't I can't appropriately remember other times that might have been this hard because I'm just in it but I do I do think we could all agree that this is a time of great unrest and um you know we are super out of balance you know even even though I love my yoga practice and it has I think if I didn't have it I'd be I, I wouldn't be here that's for sure I'd be in the loony bin or something but Same. um but still I mean it it is still not you know it's not making this a blissful experience by any if anything it's made me more awake to how broken it all is so I guess from your perspective what is broken and maybe from like a sustainability um, you know, what has this time period shown us is broken and what would it look like for us to actually use the brokenness to get us into a place of balance or bliss? Yeah. Wow. That's such a big, hard question. Um, I think, man, you're right. This is just such a, this is a hard period. It's, I'm trying to look at it as a period of growth. And just like you said, I, I think it is a period of awakening for a lot of people. So in my industry, when you work in sustainability and you work in climate action, you kind of necessarily have to be awake to the realities of a warming planet and the reality that, you know, by 2050, it's just even locally, Indiana is going to be five to six degrees warmer than it was 50 years before. So from 2000 to 2050, it's projected we're going to be at least like the average global temperature is five to six degrees warmer. So that means that we will have winters similar to the East Coast. I believe Pennsylvania is the state they project. And that will have summers closer to Louisiana. We are in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. That's pretty significant. 
So I think it's hard enough for a lot of people in my field because we do have to be awake to the realities of what we're facing and the challenge that we've got ahead. But I, I do think it's an opportunity that instead of shutting down and turning ourselves off and just tuning into our own like personal, frankly, selfish needs, we want to help other people. Everyone I know in this field, they, you know, they care about the planet, right? But in reality, the planet's going to survive even if it warms up. Humans might not. We might go extinct is the reality of this. And so you have to care about people because we want people to wake up and we want to be able to help them still thrive even in a warmer planet. So the reality is we're still going to live in a warmer planet. It's just a matter of how much and how well adapted we're going to be and whether we can start to, you know, reverse or at least limit the impacts of this warming planet. So I think for me, it's uncomfortable, just like any change is, but I think it's a real opportunity. And while we hear in the news, all the gloom and the doom and, you know, oh gosh, it's going to be so bad. I also see a lot of examples of really smart people coming up with really innovative solutions or rediscovering old solutions from old societies of ways that we can tackle these problems and still thrive into the future. As far as coming into balance, I mean, the way we kind of got into this mess, right, is like over, over using fossil fuels. Like that's the reality. We have got to get off our fossil fuel addiction and I know that we focus a lot on individual behaviors, but the system itself has to change, which is going to take individuals demanding change from these big companies, from our utilities, from our government to hold these companies accountable. You know, it's, I think it's the latest stat that I saw from the Sunrise Movement was saying that 100 companies are the reason for like 70% of fossil fuels currently being consumed and emitted. That is so significant. The way that we consume the things that we buy, the energy that we use, like those things are what is causing this. And so if we as individuals can start changing that and demanding more and better, we can survive and thrive into the future. And that's what I want. And I think that anyone in my field that really meaningfully cares about this feels the same way, that they care about not just the planet, they care about people. That's why we're in it. We care about people. Mm. Maybe you have tears in my eyes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am watching a, I always like to, I, have you ever done the Strengths Finders course? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Most, um, most of my jobs require it. Yeah. I, I did it when I worked at Lululemon years and years ago. And I only remember one, which was my perspective is my, I learn best by knowing the history of something. Like if I know where we've come from, I can go ahead. I think it's called like history or historian or something. Mm -hmm. um, so during this time, my husband and I have watched uh, a documentary on the Dust Bowl. Ooh. And it was so good. It's on PBS. It's a series. If you think this is depressing, go watch that. Mm -hmm. uh, and now we're watching a 30 lecture series from Purdue, actually, um, uh, on the bubonic plague and um, there was a warming period then and that warming period was what enabled a population boom before right before the bubonic plague because they were living in you know uh, like frozen tundras essentially and all of a sudden they have this warmth so for a moment there I was like oh wow like what this does is 
potentially make more climates capable of making food in ways they couldn't. That, that was my like positive Pollyanna, but then it makes others a desert. So anyway, um, so I guess that's just me digressing, but what, what would you say as you talk about, you know, individual consumer to these large 20 companies, um, that reminds me a lot of how we often teach yoga and how many of the philosophies of yoga are set up, which is going micro to macro and macro to micro. So you know, what I can't do right now is affect those 20 companies in this moment, but I, I could over time if I whittle away at it. Um, what would be maybe the first three to five things you'd encourage individual consumers to do or individual people to do to affect the macro? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think for me, and everyone has a, everybody's different. That's always been my motto. But I think for me, what was kind of my path getting into this. So when I first got into sustainability, when I was a wee little teenager, mm-hmm. um, it was just becoming a term. Sustainability was a new term. You know, the movement was kind of around, but it wasn't really cohesive. And what really helped me was thinking about you know, waste. So in your home, there's a lot of things that you can do to reduce what goes to the landfill or in Indianapolis case, what goes to the Covanta incinerator. So the waste energy plant. So if you're throwing away everything in the trash, what amount of that could you actually be recycling? So signing up for curbside recycling through, you know, Republic or whichever company is in your area Um, That would be one of the first steps that you can take. They send you literature on how to do it. They send you, you know, a cart, just like you have your trash cart at your house. I think that's one of the easiest ways because that's a continual process of awakening to, wow, so much of what I have is actually recyclable and a company can reuse that and make new products. Uh, Another thing is composting, kind of on that same vein. So that's not possible for everyone in their backyard. I personally have a garden and I compost, but I I live in a house. When I lived in an apartment, there's actually some curbside composting companies that you can pay to come and pick up your little baggie or your like little bucket of food waste on a weekly, bi-weekly or monthly basis, depending on your needs. So even if you live in an apartment, that can be an option. I think another thing and I'm focusing a lot on waste, but food is another really big one. So I grew up, my grandparents had a farm, always had a giant garden every year. And really thinking about where your food comes from is another piece of sustainability. And I think it's a really important piece. Um, You know, I have a fairly decent sized vegetable garden. I think there's always more that you can do, but once you realize the inputs that go into creating your food, you realize how much food is wasted and how much energy is put into, you know, kind of what we think of as our standard, like grocery store to home pipeline. There's actually all these inputs before then and all these fossil fuels and water and labor that's put into that food showing up in that beautiful little package at the grocery store. And I think you have a much better sense of that when you start to grow your own food. So again, if you don't have a home, you, if you live like in an apartment or if you're renting, there's a lot of community gardens or places that you can volunteer or sign up to, 
you know, have a plot for a summer. So I think that's another really good way. I think that's three ways so far. I've got a couple more that I can think of. Uh, think about how you're commuting and how you're getting around. So I have been, I go back and forth on this. I really like to bike if I can. I like to bike to work, but it can be too hot or it can be too cold. And so if not, I also try to carpool or I try to take the bus. So just thinking about, you know, your personal vehicle miles traveled is a lot of our emissions on an individual level come from those single passenger vehicles and driving them around, you know, back and forth to work. So if you can carpool with somebody, if you can ride a bike and get some exercise, or if you can take the bus, especially the new awesome rapid transit line that we've got here in Indy, it's a really great, super convenient system. So those are four. I'm trying to think of a really good final one. And I think this one is maybe the most important. Ask questions and start learning. Start learning about what you're interested in. So right now I'm reading this book called Drawdown and it's the top 100 solutions to reverse global warming. So I like to read a lot of different topics. I've got another book on deck right now that's about environmental and climate justice, which is an area I'm getting really passionate about. But just start reading and watching documentaries and asking questions and talking to people that are experts in these fields. So I think that's how you learn and you're, you become more awake to the entire system. You know, doing these individual things will just keep opening your eyes to all of the problems and solutions that are out there. So good. Thank you. Um, I think if we were to relate back to you know, this idea of sukha, of bliss, of good space, what would, what would be on the other side of that is bad space or, um, you know, being disrupted. And, you know, when we look at this in the context of an asana, of a physical pose, and we're trying to find that balance of sukha and stira, stability and ease, what often comes up is like there's there's something disrupting the pose. There's something, you know, so if we're talking about sukhasana, easy seated pose, we're usually talking about either tight hip flexors. Like we've got to get out of the way of the junk and the hip flexors. And so we've got to stretch to do that. Or it's the limitations of the mind that you know, what's, there's so much behind the screen, right? And, um, and I think so much of that just requires waking up and becoming aware of, and to, to your point, like becoming aware of how much you drive, becoming aware of how much you throw away. You know, we can't, we can't move into bliss. We can't move into good space until we acknowledge the bad space, until we acknowledge where we are disrupted. So I, I think this is so important. I think as someone who is very passionate about the environment and has been waking up to this for a while, um, but doesn't have any of the cool background you do, I think it's just a constant awakening of like consumption. You said consumption a few times, like especially with children, how much people give us because they want to show their love. So they give us all these presents and toys for our kids all the time. And then what happens is they, they get thrown away or we don't value used things in our culture. We think that's you know bad and negative. So then I can't give the clothes to anyone. And so you know, then I'm stuck in this like cycle of consumer behavior. So it's, it's really just in my limited experience, becoming conscious of your own habits, but then starting to notice other people's habits 
and starting to analyze what, where does that come from? Um, and so often they come from two of the five clashes, attachment and aversion. We're either doing it because we're attached to something or we're avoiding something. And, um, you know, and those are big things to grapple with, but I think at the heart of it all is when we can, when we can recognize we don't need all of that, that as we are, we are enough, we will arrive at this blissful place. So it's, it's recognizing that more doesn't equal better. You know, and I think we've fallen <laughs> into this pattern specifically in the United States of more equals better. And what that, what that always does, I think we have to remember too, is like when you get, I don't believe in like, there's not enough. I think there's, I think we have copious amounts of everything in the world, mm -hmm. but in that, in that way that we go about consuming things, it leaves somebody else out. So every yeah. time I get something and I get to put my needs and prioritize my existence, someone else doesn't. So to your point about the food, like think about all the things that your food has had to go through to get to your plate. Just think about how many people that has affected. Exactly. So, you know, fair trade and shit. It's like, yes, it, it costs, it costs more. You're going to pay more for that food. But I often think about like who that, who that might be benefiting, who that might be going to. And so while I might have to sacrifice a bit more of my money to that, what that means is I'm actually giving more to somebody else who did very equitable work to get that. So right. we'll go down the rabbit hole of how politics and all this lines up, but it's all connected. Yeah, I think you made a really good point. And I think that just thinking about consumption too, in your point about the United States, that's actually not an accident. The way that our system is designed currently is on part of the government and on part as a way to stimulate the economy. So if we can get that back into balance, there's a lot of good readings and articles and history about this. But after, I believe it was World War II, um, when all of the soldiers came back home, they were looking for something to do with all these veterans, with all these young guys. And so they started creating all of these suburbs, which created urban sprawl. They started really trying to help them raise their standard of living. And so advertising became a really big thing, like buy, 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 consume, consume, consume. Like this is intentional. And the fact that things wear out, that the products that we buy wear out is actually called planned obsolescence and it's on purpose, which is to me really messed up now, now that we know better. Mm -hmm. But the way it was done was to stimulate the economy. So again, those three pillars, they were trying to get the economy back into balance and help people, but that's ended up hurting the planet. So that's just something too, to like an, a, layer, a layer added on that consumption piece. We talk about it a lot in sustainability because it applies to literally everything. Wow. That's mind blowing. Yeah. Talk about waking up. It's, uh, there's a reason I like to thrift shop quite a bit. Well, and that that was intended to help people. You know, yeah. at the time, that was a really kind thing. And I think we prioritize kind and comfortable a lot over like real and, <laughs> you know, yeah. in long term. I think that's another hard thing for us to recognize is like, um, well, instant gratification versus delayed gratification is very much skewed in, in my experience of this country. And, um, you know, we, 
again, macro to micro, we can't sit with ourselves in the present. Like we can't just enjoy this. I'm drinking hot water with lemon right now. Like I can't just enjoy this hot water with lemon. I'm, I'm thinking about the coffee I'm going to have after, and I get to drink this to get to the coffee because this is my Ayurvedic practice. But you know, I can't just sit here, even though I'm having the best conversation in the world, my mind is already on the next thing. Right. And then at the same time, we also can't temper our, our need for instant gratification, you know, to see the larger effect, to think about 2050, my children will be 34 and 32, you know, like they will be, they will be my age living in that kind of heat. Me too. You know, like as their norm and as they are trying to get their careers off the ground, if that's still a thing and whatever. So yeah, it's just really, um, I think we've got to, we've got to grapple with how we can't sit with the present. If we could just sit with what is, if we could just sit with ourselves, that is sukha, that is bliss. And if we could also think about the long-term effects of things, the karmic ripples and causality of things, um, we might be able to create good space for more people for longer periods of time. So I could talk to you all day about this, like literally all day. We probably should. <laughs> we probably will. I'm sure we will. <laughs> I think we really should and will. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, last couple of questions and we're going to practice. What are you, what are you growing in your garden right now? Cause I know you and I share a love of gardening. Um, what are you growing in your garden right now that you're most excited about? Ooh. Um, wow. That is a hard one. So I think it's probably a tie between basil and tomatoes because I'm trying to can for the first time this year. So I've done it before with my grandma, but I've never led the process. And I really love, we just always used to have tomato sauce from her garden. And so I would love to be able to like carry on that tradition and be able to sustain my own family. And I also just love pesto and fresh basil is amazing. So I'm hoping that I have a good enough crop that I can do both those things. Oh, love it. We should do a virtual canning party because Jessica Murphy asked me about canning and I can, I can a lot. I love. I'm here for it. I need to learn for sure. Okay. We'll do that. We'll do that for sure. Okay. Um, and what is your favorite like secondhand store in Indy? Oh man. Um, I guess I should like, like clothes, secondhand clothes. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to Aubrey if she's listening to this. Cause she's like my sister in thrifting, <laughs> but she and I, when we're in normal quote unquote normal times, she and I will go to first Saturday at Goodwill pretty much every single month and just go rip through that place and get so many awesome things because this is a well-known secret among like thrifters and people who are just thrifty with money. But first Saturday at Goodwill's in central Indiana, everything is 50% off the tag price. So you get insane deals and we find the craziest, nice things there. Like I found brand new dresses that were like $150 with tags on them for $2. So that probably necessarily because I always go to the one by Target and I feel like that one's picked over all the time. Yeah. Don't go to that one in Glendale. We go to the one in Fountain Square and I've gone to a couple of them up in like Westfield and Carmel 
And that's where I found some of the craziest stuff, but definitely the Fountain Square one. It's closer to Aubrey and I. She lives down in Garfield Park and I live near Fountain Square. Um, but I say, I have to say Goodwill just because it's got like a special place in my heart and that's how I got into thrifting. But there's also a really cool locally owned vintage shop called Rebel Vintage that's in like Sobro and a couple of friends of mine own it and I'm like obsessed. It's so well curated, great branding. They make masks and they sell masks right now, but I've gotten the coolest things there for a really good price. So I got actually a mid-century modern ice bucket from there the first time I went in and I was like, this is a problem. This is my new favorite place. <laughs> so those are my two favorites, I'd say. So awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough for those listening. I did make her wake up at 7 a.m. to record this conversation. Um, thank you so much for getting up, for sharing your expertise, for being a person in the world who cares, for being a yoga practitioner. And definitely, you know, I deeply appreciate that that's here with us. So uh, yeah, just thank you for all those things and for all you are, you are being. If I, I'm not the ordained authority, but you are definitely creating good space in the world. So thanks. So are you. Thanks, buddy.